want to welcome everyone to a brand new spanking episode of Getting to the Truth in This Art. I'm Rob Lee from Mastermind Team's Robcast, MTR Podcast, and today I have a guest with me. Um, as, as you know, people have been listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode. And in this episode, I have a guest. Um, should I use your full name, first name? What should sure. I use? Sure. Sure, you can use my full name. Uh, I, I have Dylan Morrison with me. Hi. How's it going? Uh, it's going great. I'm smiling a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on. Um, and let's see, like we talked about your background a little bit. You're you're in a, a few different spots. You're we, <laughs> yeah, had, that's true. We've had um, on this uh, on this show, we've had a few different people. We've had like James Nasty on, who comes to mind because. Mm-hmm. He was doing like two different things. It didn't seem like they really like went together. They're creative and all, mm-hmm. but it didn't seem like they went together, like making hot sauce and also being a DJ. You're yeah. a writer and you're also like a chef, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So, um, so tell me about that. Tell me about that a little bit. Uh, so I, um, I have an undergraduate degree in creative writing uh, from Warren Wilson College, and when I graduated from that job, I um, I got a really great job, like on paper. Like it was, um, I was working at the community college. Um, I was tutoring people in writing. It was like a on paper, it was like kind of an ideal job for fresh out of college for. Me, I had been kind of doing some of the tutoring work already. Um, and so I was, and it was at the time for me, it was like amazing pay. It was like blowing my mind. <laughs> um, and so that was really interesting, kind of weird, kind of boring. Like I was, you know, I was 22 at the time, almost 23. So everyone thought I was a student. Um, I was like 20, 15 years younger than everyone. Um, <laughs> but I, so I got a second job to kind of supplement it cause that was about 25 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And so that job I got, my friend, uh, was like, basically if you come in and you're not crazy, like you can have this job. And I, I really, I was trying to find like front of house jobs. <clears throat> I had worked in restaurants in various capacities, mostly front of house and mostly like part-time, um, like throughout high school, throughout college, um, summers and stuff. And so then I got a job and they were like, so basically it was like a really, really tiny kitchen connected to a, like a really small kitchen for a coffee shop. Okay. And they were building their whole thing. And they were like, we like really need someone to, I was basically a short order cook. I was, it was me. And then sometimes one other person. Sure, and yeah. so it was just like, it would get crazy sometimes, but it was usually pretty chill. And so that was, I kind of started cooking. Okay. And so. yeah, so it kind of, uh, then that job was really engaging to me. And my job at the community college was like, yeah, this is supposed to be like this perfect thing or like this, 
interesting thing, but it's just not interesting to me. It's not like fun to me. It's not compelling at all. Whereas like my, you know, my side job of like cooking was getting interesting and fun. And I was picking up more and more hours doing that. So then I flipped over. I, it's funny though. Cause I kind of thought about, like I thought about applying to culinary school before I got into college. So, but I never did. So you went to the dark side of the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And once you go, you, I mean, it's impossible to come back because there's like a million people that want to do front of house. And once you're in back of house, you can't go back. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and in, in making that, I guess that transition, one of the things I kind of, kind of heard is you may start out, like in a job, you're like, all right, this is cool. You know, it's about money and all of this, but it seemed like you may have already been a very like, you know, creative person, like doing creative Mm -hmm. writing, doing all of that, but you needed to shift it. You need to shift it to something that was going to satiate it. It's like, huh, this, this is a job as opposed to I'm creating something. I'm sitting here with these, these different goals. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I guess the difference is that like, when you're working in a job like in academia or anything else, it's like anyone can just walk up to you and like capture your attention and you have to stop out uh, thinking about whatever you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. And in, 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 in that job specifically, it'd be like, okay, I'm reading something or I'm writing something of my own. I'm in a totally caught up in my own head and this kid just shows up and I have to help them with like the most basic grammar or like something that's like really nitpicky and annoying. Right. And it would just like infuriate me. Like I would just be like so resentful of these kids, not like personally, obviously, but like I would just be like, ah. whereas when like I, with cooking, <laughs> no one can like, you know, once I start chopping, I can think about whatever I want, which is really pleasant to me. I mean, when I get into a spot where, like, I'm training someone or teaching someone some of the ins and outs of podcasting, I get really resentful when I'm listening to a shitty podcast. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, this isn't good. This isn't good at all. I've wasted my time. I could have recorded something better than this. Well, and I went from helping, like, senior majors writing their, like, senior theses, basically, to, like, most of the people that were coming in were, like, freshmen in college that really probably didn't have some of the skills that they needed from like the shitty tennis. Oh, sorry. Can I swear? Okay. Like from the school system in Tennessee, it was just like, well, they, this is more like working on like high school level stuff. Um, so it's kind of just like, ugh, you know, I don't want to be talking about like, I don't know, just basic teaching stuff. I just wasn't, um, I mean, I think I could teach in some capacity eventually, but especially at the time, I was just like, I want to do my own thing. I want to be left alone. I don't want to, like, have to be on and, like, um, kind of really carefully walking people through things. And Yeah, because I think a lot of times when you're you're in one of those spots where you're training someone, you're teaching someone the ins and outs of – something that may flow naturally for you. Like I've, 
done you know different writing or what have you and mm-hmm. I always go back and forth with people who do the whole thing of I'm a writer and blah 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 and it takes them forever to kind of get through something that's okay whereas mm-hmm. for me it just spills out of me and it's just like but I don't, I don't call myself a writer I don't proceed to be a writer mm-hmm. or anything along those lines but it just, <laughs> yeah. it just flows out you know and it's just like there are different ways that that people go about it but ultimately it's something that you you can't really teach like this is my approach, this is how I go about things. If you would, could you speak on maybe like your style of writing, what you enjoy writing about mm-hmm. and what your approach is? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I've been writing fiction for a really long time. I've been writing fiction since I was a kid. Um, I was kind of raised up. I don't know if it was like specific to the time or just it was specific to my life, but I wrote a whole bunch of books in elementary school that were like either written by kids or um, about kids writing or I was really into the outsiders by S.E. Hinton. And, you know, I was like, uh, really into this idea of like, um, well, like, why not me? Like, I love writing. I love reading books. Like that was my favorite thing. I love <laughs> writing stories. And there was like, well, like it clicked, you know, like, well, why couldn't I be a novelist? Like if, you know, People write stories all the time. And so then I started my first novel literally when I was like nine. Wow. And I mean, all 12 pages of it. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, uh, I, I just always really loved writing. And I think like what you said, like you gravitate towards the things you're good at, but, and the things that you're kind of like rewarded for. So I think it was kind of like a, uh, like a snowball effect of like, I, I really enjoyed it. I had some kind of, I don't think it's natural. I think honestly, it just comes from reading. Like I, you learn a lot of, um, kind of techniques subconsciously from just consuming a lot of media in general. So I had a little toolkit of like things I didn't even understand yet. I had, and you know, then I got some feedback and it kind of built on And I feel, like, fortunate for that because I think I'm not – I don't think I'm a very normal – I guess, like, a template, I guess, for, like, writing because I don't think you have to, like, have had this whole, like, lifelong thing. Like, I mean, I feel so fortunate because, you know, I'm 26. Um. I've been writing for over 15 years now, like seriously writing. And so, um, and that kind of time is just hard to replace with anything else. And so I feel like, I, I feel like anyone can write. I do really think that, but I, I just feel I say that all the time. Like, I don't think I'm like a normal example of like that kind of trajectory of like, I think it takes people a really long time to figure out what they're into. Yeah. And I like somehow got lucky that I was just like, I'm into this thing. Um, and then it kind of just, it wasn't a phase. Like it just kind of kept evolving and evolving. And I mean, I think kind of based off the first story I told is like, I, have a hard time doing things that aren't like super fun or interesting to me, which, um, you know, I, I'm not very good at like, 
I can be miserable, but not for like extended amounts of time unless something's like really meaningful to me. And so um, I kind of gravitate towards, you know, I didn't want to go to college unless I could study what I really wanted to study. You know, I didn't want a job unless it was something that was at least marginally compelling if you have to spend so much time doing it. That, and that's something um, that, that's that's interesting right there. Like yeah. I I stumble into that and chasing like what I'm doing. Like, you know, a lot of people mm-hmm. I I get really frustrated, and this is me being honest, I get really frustrated mm-hmm. with just this deluge of like like podcasters. Everyone grabs a mic and mm-hmm. everyone's a jerk with a microphone and an opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's fine, but it's a lot of people that end up washing out and they're like yeah. only so many topics, so many approaches, so many things to really cover. So it can turn people off to experiencing what you're doing. And I take podcasting from a very artistic standpoint. And, you know, I, in my whole story, I started off like young, making a lot of money doing something I thought I wanted to do. So- sounds like a few parallels there. <laughs> and, yeah, totally. And, um, yeah, I was just like, I always used to brag, like, man, I make my age in dollars per hour. I was really like smelling uh-huh. myself as it were. And mm-hmm. it hit me at like 24. I was like, yo, I am fucking not going anywhere with this. This is not what I want to do. And mm-hmm. in like 2009, that's when I decided I wanted to at least start podcasting or documenting mm-hmm. what I'm doing, documenting this, that experience. And it kind of morphed into what am I interested in? And yeah. I was interested in critiquing and, you know, being satirical about just the news or what mm-hmm. have you, because really to me, everything was a joke. Everything was a bit, not in not taking stuff seriously, yeah. but it's just like, this is a limited time frame we have here. Absurd. Like tighten up, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of going through it, it's been instances mm-hmm. where I'll have opportunities from, you know, employers to try to converge to two things like, Hey, making a lot of money and also doing podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I find that they're, they're mirages. The, the shit's not real. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I'm very, and, and, and maybe I think you kind of touched on it, but maybe it's the same where from a creative control standpoint, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it in my way. I don't want to do yeah. yes. for somebody yes. else. Like, exactly. You know, point, like, yeah, 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 go ahead. Sorry. You know, at one point, um, you know, uh, me and my co-host, um, Dan, we, we had a, uh, we had a show that was on a different network. And, you know, we were doing just like, this is a good opportunity to partner up and so on. And we did this really corny show. And we always yeah. look back at the picture, the screenshot mm-hmm. of what the logo was. And yeah. we both had this like shit eating look on our faces. It's like, we really just sold out any artistic credibility we had here. We <laughs> gave it up <laughs> for this opportunity. And yeah, I think at a point, the guy that was running everything is like, I'm capable of doing all of my shit on my own. He and I had a very interesting um, argument and mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, I, if I didn't just accept something that was beneath what I wanted to do, I wouldn't be having this bad conversation right now. I wouldn't be doing yeah. this joke of a conversation. Yeah. And I think, mm-hmm. I think in, in, in being an artist or being someone that's creative, that's a conversation that you have to have with yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm just doing what's compelling. I mean, I think that, um, I think that like, it doesn't 
always have to like make sense either of like, mm-hmm. yeah, like that might be like this opportunity to everyone around you and like, what are you doing? Why are you throwing that away? Right. You know? And, and you're like, yeah, but it doesn't feel like right. Or, I mean, I think that's the thing that like, at the end of the day, like you're the one who has to like look at your work and like, if you don't like it, then what does it matter? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, or like if everyone loves it and you hate it, then that's like, that doesn't, what, what good is that? Like it's, that. It's like, it's like being really gauche and saying, I'm doing this for myself, but I'm sharing it with others. Yeah. And like, I mean, um, you mean you asked what kind of writing I do? I write, like I've been writing like really dark things lately, but I don't think of myself as like a dark person. My husband's always like, wow, that's really sad yet again. (laughs) And it's like, well, when I am compelled to write a happy story, I'll write a happy story, you know, or like, uh, when I'm compelled to write a script, I'll write a script. When I'm compelled to write a novel, I'll write a novel. But like, I think that, uh, I mean, yeah, there's tons of people that are like, oh, yeah, I have a novel in me. And yeah, sure, I'm sure you do. (laughs) I'm sure every single human being has a novel in them because every human being is, like, creative, can find narrative patterns in their experiences and in the world around them, can describe things. Um, Writing a novel is not very fun. So, at least in my experience, and so, like, Whenever someone tells me that, I'm like, okay, you know, like, enjoy your novel, (laughs) you know, or like, if you, you know, like, if you have a novel and you write it, if you're compelled to do it, um, right now I'm compelled to cook, but I don't feel like I will be forever. And so like, I'm kind of just like, until I'm not anymore and then I'll deal with that. But We're very very fat-centric on this podcast network, so Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about food for a little bit. Yeah, okay. I'm down. So I was going (laughs) to ask this about writing, but let's ask us about food. I'm going to switch my whole series of questions now. That's fine, because I straddle both lines, so I can go in either direction very far. (laughs) This this might be like a cookbook episode. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Not one word. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So, um, what are some of your sources of inspiration when like preparing a meal or what have you, like what, what, I guess, types of cuisine are you into and how is that mm-hmm. expressed through what you try to cook, what you're inspired to cook? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think a cl- a distinction I would like to make, I guess, sure. is I think of myself as like more of a cook and less okay. of like a chef. Like I work for I've worked for various people and I've worked for I've only ever worked under female chefs um and I've worked with a lot of people that like that was their thing like building plates and like that like sometimes especially pastry chefs it's like you're a freaking wizard like how did you even think of that Like, how did your brain even go in a crazy direction like that to even get to that conclusion? And 
So I think that is like the distinction for me is like, sorry, my door opened with the wind. Sorry. Um, I love cooking, but I really like it. I find because it's like, especially in the kind of cooking I do, which is kind of like fine dining, Mm -hmm. you can really, really get like really good at these skills. Like it's just like these, you can see how skills evolve over time, which I think is something that makes it really similar to writing. It's like repetition and taking something out of one context and putting it into a different one. So I really enjoy that part of cooking a lot, like the kind of technical side. I don't always kind of view the world in like, um, like making up recipes and stuff, you know, like, like my chef does, for example, like that's her like thing. And I don't necessarily do that. I feel like I tend to, I love cooking like for people. I really like, not like at work, like I don't really care about the guests that much. I'm more interested in like being good at something. Okay. But at home, you know, it's totally different. I eat totally differently (laughs) when I'm cooking at home. But I love Asian foods. I love Indian food. Mm. I love Vietnamese food. I mean, we can talk about what I like to eat even (laughs) more than what I like to cook. Because (laughs) I, I mean, I'm, I love like, I love Eki Ben. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. much. I love Eki Ben. We're going to talk about like a Baltimore thing. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, so I have all kinds of favorite Southern foods. You know, I was I was crestfallen because we we talked a little uh, bit about your about your town, and I had my my yes. trip scheduled there, and it got that. canceled obviously. And I was like, I damn know. it. It'll still be there, but it's intense, man. I mean, it's crazy. I miss it. It's funny because I work at Charleston, and I ended up at, like, a southern restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like, the one southern restaurant in town, kind of, yeah. where... So then it's, like, this weird juxtaposition of, like, I'm from Tennessee. And it's different because it's a little more, like, low country South Carolina southern cooking at my restaurant that's like my chef's background so i see the differences between that and like tennessee southern cooking but there's still a lot of overlap and so it's i always think it's like so ironic like i'll be super homesick but then i will do like a southern tasting menu it'll be like this really like fancy thing that where i'm from is just like delicious but it's just you know it's a cafeteria food like meat and three kind of thing that's uh, like super cheap, super like low. It's not fancy. So I, delicious. I get that's tight. what I like to eat. I get tight all the time. Uh, my my girlfriend always makes fun of me because I'll say that's not canon, mm-hmm. and it, it usually has something to yeah. do with something on a menu. Because um, I like New Orleans mm-hmm. a lot, and um, mm-hmm. I always whenever I travel, I try to go on like on a food excursion. That's usually one mm-hmm. of the reasons why I travel. And I've seen so many people trying to do something. It's not simple because I don't, I don't really trivialize and say something that's simple if I don't do it. But 
Yeah. It's a lot of places to say, oh, I have shrimp and grits. And I'm like, that's not canon. I start going through like, hmm, that, that's not part oh of it. Oh my gosh. That's well, yeah. Like imagine 20 different sh- little plates of shrimp and grits in front of you, each a different style. Like, I mean, it would just be like by the person, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so uh, we do shrimp and grits at my job and it's like, my chef probably would totally agree with you. Like she probably wouldn't even want to eat them anywhere else because there's like a right way. And then there's like so many wrong ways. <laughs> I, I'll have to add your place to my list because I need to like have them. Oh, ranked. Please like come gonna in. It's going to be, that a would be so fun. That would be so fun. And we'll hook it up. Yeah. It'd be, okay. If we're ever open again, if I still work there, <laughs> So, yeah, we're actually recording yeah. during the times of Corona, Quarantice, as I like to call it. Um, mm-hmm. so, Quarantines. Yeah. Um, so back back to writing a little bit. Um, yeah. Can you give me maybe two and two? Two of your favorite mm-hmm. books and two of your favorite writers. Okay. Um, okay, so this past, I'm in school right now. I'm in like a low residency writing program. And this past, uh, I think two months ago, I read Don Quixote. Okay. Like all of it, all almost like 990 pages of it. It's intense. <laughs> yes, it was a very intense three weeks. And that book blew my mind. So I think that one might be in my top two. I mean, it was just amazing. It was amazing. Beautiful. So wild and like so funny. Like I don't usually laugh out loud when I'm reading like that's so rare for me at least like that like sure I'll laugh at like tv and stuff but like I think I for some reason because I'm like analyzing with the writing like I the emotions I can see what is happening so like it doesn't really affect me as much I'm like analyzing how they're doing it instead (laughs) but my point is that this book like really moved me. It just really like um, kind of caught me off guard and made me laugh really hard. So I'm going to say that one. And oh man, I mean, of all time, it's hard, but I love Shirley Jackson. So maybe, um, maybe the haunting of Hill house is like just another fun favorite. It's a really great one that's, like, really well-written and also kind of spooky. And uh, that's another book that, like, that um, it's a, it has some spooky elements that, like, really scared me the first time I read it. Like, I was really um, kind of caught up in the story and caught up in, caught up in it, uh, which I love that when a book can do that. Um, and two writers I love, um, two writers I love, I mean, there's just so many. I love Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Mm-hmm. He wrote 100 Years of Solitude, Love in the Time of Cholera. Yeah. Um, I think he's just great. Uh, and so I'll say him. And another one I love is Haruki Murakami. Have you read anything by him? Uh, He's really good. He he wrote um, Kafka on the Shore. He wrote The Wind-Up Bird Chronicles, my favorite. He's kind of, 
um, him and Marquez are both kind of like magical realists. Okay. And yeah. I do have kind of like a history with magical realism. I'm really interested in like, um, kind of like there, I think of it as like a dual kind of twinned definition of magical realism. There's like the first version, which is, um, like reality, like told magically. Okay. Yeah. Like like realism represented magically. And then kind of later as it caught on and moved from art to writing, it became like magic described realistically or like kind of, it kind of usually comes off as like nonchalant. Like it's not acknowledged Mm -hmm. in an otherwise realistic world. And so I'm really kind of interested in that. And so I think those are both authors that, um, play with magical realism a lot i'll add i'll add to the list i, I need to have a few more <laughs> things to to read so yeah because I'm, I'm looking at like kind of more pop culture oriented books mm-hmm. and stuff that's mm-hmm. like sitting around like one thing that i've been reading that, well i just finished reading was the uh what is it uh desperately seeking basquiat and it's just this story about um well it's actually chronicling mm-hmm. like it, where he lived at in like different places and kind of oh, where cool. he's at in his career. So it's like kind of like a timeline and cool. I got towards the end. And I, I guess one of the things you touched on of if you're reading the book and you actually feel something, that's when yeah. it's super successful. And that, so when he got to the part, I was like, I know he dies. Like, I know this. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was just like, Basquiat did it. Just like, damn it. <laughs> Crushing. Yeah. I read the, um, do you read a lot of nonfiction? Um, not really, no. No. I don't always, but I like to listen to nonfiction, like, audiobooks. Okay. It's, um, I mean, I like podcasts, too, so it feels kind of similar to me. Um, and I, obviously, I know they're really different, not to talk about your thing. I know they're really different, but I just mean I enjoy them in similar ways. And, uh... I was listening to the Shirley Jackson, like her biography yeah. on audiobook, and I knew she died. <laughs> she died like 40 years ago or something, but I was crushed, man. I was crushed. It was like still, I cried. Like I was still crushed that she died and just like knowing it was coming. And yeah, I think that's really, uh, that's, I mean, what we're always going for is what I think with good writing is at least good fiction is like when you're really caught up in something and it kind of breaks the, um, or it successfully casts the spell so that you're like unaware of yourself for a minute is like really what I think is like magical about reading and really like when successful writing to me is when it just flows so naturally that you're not, caught up in like the actual act of reading that's that's the thing that's a like a trap for me like um i kind of i get into something and i can like burn through it like um mm-hmm. when, when i was when i was reading and, and remember i saw like blade runner like different mm-hmm. bits and pieces and then when i like read um do you know the the, the book that's based off of uh, yeah it, uh, do androids uh, dream electric sheep yeah and i right? have like yeah three versions it, of yeah. it I have like three mm-hmm. versions of it in, in my house and I'm like, okay, when I read it, I was like, I need to now watch the movie because I felt like I hadn't watched mm-hmm. the movie. I've seen a few interesting pieces here and there. 
And mm -hmm. in reading the book, I was like enraptured. I think it was an exercise. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more of like a frustrated reader. Like, you know, mm -hmm. hey, I should be reading 700 pages a day. And it's like, should you? And should you? Yes, that's a good point. And it's like, you know, get up, you know, read a chapter or read 20 pages or whatever the thing is, but something that's moving that needle. And I think that's a tiny bit. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think reading for me is all about building momentum. If it's been a really long time since I've read, which it hasn't been because I'm in school, but before I was in school, I would let like lapses between books happen. And it's hard to pick up a book for out of nowhere. Whereas like, if you have a list and you're, you pick up, a new one, you know, the night or the day after you finish another one. Yeah. I can usually build like a chain of books, but yeah, reading, I, I don't like it when reading's a chore. I try to make reading fun, but I'm in school right now. So that's going to be <laughs> a little inevitable, but. Uh, so I got a couple more questions and then I'll mm -hmm. let you get back to your day and I'm going to roll one up. So that's mm -hmm. going to be getting back to my day too. Yeah, um, me too. Uh, so let's see. Um, th this might be a loaded question, but mm -hmm. actually two of them might be, the next two might be loaded questions. I love loaded questions. What are some <laughs> of the, uh, what are some of the common writing traps and how do you overcome them? Oh, that's a fun one. Calling writing traps. Oh, God. I don't... Okay, well, first of all, I'll just say for the record, I don't know if I have overcome these because I <laughs> am, like, in graduate school right now, and I think a big part of graduate school is, like, being like, oh, my gosh! Like, I thought I knew so much, and I don't know anything! Uh -huh. So um, I'm kind of going through that process right now of being like, I thought I was an expert, but actually I'm a novice. But um, so, so some things I see in my own work and that I'm really work, trying to work on is like, um, well, I went to show, don't tell, which really what they're saying is description versus exposition. You're like showing somebody doing something versus just telling it. And so often I see that in my own work as I'll be like, so-and-so was really sad, period. And then the next two sentences will be them acting really sad through action. Mm -hmm. And I can just cut out that thing that says so-and-so is really sad because that was a placeholder for my own brain. Right. right and I, right. I can just, and so, okay. So then as time goes on and I like notice that more, I can skip, I can just think to myself, so-and-so is really sad. I don't have to write that down first. I can just go directly into the description of, you know, so that's something I've kind of absorbed from like getting criticized over and over is like, show me this, show me this, show me this instead of telling, which I think that especially for a first draft for me, it's all just placeholders. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but um, that's a common trap. And another one I think is just like falling into cliche. Um, and that's something that I haven't quite figured out how to get over. But I think that what I'm hoping and what I, the direction I feel like I'm going in is that's the same kind of thing as just first thought doesn't equal best thought. 
like first thought is a is a representation of like the first step towards where you want to go but it does not um like usually the first thought's going to be the most cliche thought the most kind of um formulaic and I think that there's nothing wrong with that I think there's a place for that for sure but uh those are just kind of two traps that I'm currently trying to avoid the the show don't tell one is definitely big that because it comes up in um like in in wrestling I watch a lot of pro Mm -hmm. wrestling and Mm -hmm. it's just I see it and I don't I don't know good writing I don't know art I just know like what I like and what I don't like Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at it, I was just like, I could do better than this. What is this? Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're trying to show that these are people, you're trying to paint these wrestlers as some slice of what reality is and so on. And they're gimmicks, obviously. But if yeah. it's just, I'm so angry. And then I'm going to, you know, kind of what you were describing. It's like, or this person is sad. And then I'm going to do this. Just cut all, all of that stuff and just show them acting in accordance the way a person would. No one's narrating what uh, yeah. ostensibly real people are supposed to be doing. And I just, yeah. I just think it's interesting when they have to double down to get it over. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. you're trying to convince someone and you're just doing it. You're, you're trying very hard to convince. Yeah. And you know how that feels when you read that or see that. And I, but I think there's merit to that too, because I mean, I don't really remember this moment. I'm just kind of extrapolating, but like, I'm assuming when I was a kid, I read something and I was like, I could do that. (laughs) Or like, you know, I was like, I have ideas. Yeah. Or like, it's like, oh, like this is just written by people. Like they were just kids once. They had ideas. They wrote notebooks for years. And that's still the same thing I tell myself today. I'm like, I could do that. So I think that that's like totally like that has its merit but yeah there's like so many examples of bad writing all throughout the world (laughs) i'm not as i don't consider myself a snob but i kind of um it's impossible (laughs) to not like be hyper aware of things like that if you care about them i definitely don't give a shit about grammar okay i'm not a grammar snob that's for sure i need to be a better grammar snob actually trying to learn grammar again but like uh you know i won't i i I won't uh i don't correct people's writing in the world or anything (laughs) i've seen like in reading more stuff and having more of a critical eye just not necessarily books or whatever but like i'll read over an article and say okay this is interesting let me go through this whole thing and i I read this article yesterday actually uh, about um how like the character snoopy is like it goes through just different like generations and all of this different mm-hmm. stuff and how Snoopy and the fashion world are like converging or have yeah. converged over the decades. And it's well-written. I like it. And then there's a critical fuck up in there. And I'm like, who's your editor? That's oh, yeah. what I want to like. I see it every day. I feel like I see a typo in the news. It's like, I thought we were, I thought you guys were I, like an institution. And I, and I get the reasoning why, like, we're always trying to quickly force something out, quickly push something yeah. out, and it just doesn't work. But And when you have only, like, two people gain eyes on something, which I feel like that's, like, the most a lot of those are getting. Yeah. 
Like those, a lot of like traditional newsrooms used to just like have things pass over so many people's eyes that those would just get like worked out. I feel like, you know, but it's like, no, like you're saying, it's just like pump it out, pump it out, pump it out, pump it out. My thing is spell Disney, right. And we'll, we'll all be good. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. Multiple typos. Yeah. If you read them out loud, that's a, that's a good writing tip. Read your work out loud and either you'll hear how like you make mistakes or what I found is something will be so trite mm-hmm. or like cliche that I'll be embarrassed reading it, but I'll change it in the moment. Like I'll like my sense of taste will be offended <laughs> by, by it and I'll catch it before, uh, before it goes out into the world. I think reading stuff out loud is a really good thing that journalists could be doing now. Then the the last question I have before we do a little mm-hmm. social media and all of that good stuff, anything you have coming mm-hmm. up, um, it would be, uh, um, it's kind of a two-part. I'm going to combine this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <clears throat> what is your favorite unappreciated like novel? And secondly... Mm-hmm. What is an overrated yet very like celebrated novel? Oh, that's fun. Those are really fun questions. Um, yeah, thanks. This has been really fun. It's been like really fun to think about writing or just have like a different conversation than quarantine life. Um, that's what we're doing here. Getting to the truth of the heart, baby. <laughs> yep, exactly. Okay, so I think underappreciated because I have never met anyone that like gives a shit about it, I guess okay. is I read the book vertigo that, um, the Hitchcock movie is based off of, which that's one of my favorite films is the Hitchcock vertigo. Um, and if you haven't seen it, watch it. If you aren't into Hitchcock, watch not all of them. They're not all amazing, but like most of the big ones are, I love film and I love him I love that movie so much that's probably one of my favorites so the novel was written by this like French duo it's like a crime writing duo I'm gonna like totally mess up their names but I think it's like Boleo Narcijek that's all it's like a hyphenation of their last names you can look it up online that's I'm always butchering French words at my fancy French restaurant so I don't know (laughs) anything but they that book is just wonderful i mean they wrote an they, it's kind of like noir but it's a really good mystery too like it's a really good you don't know how both of their novels that i've read it's a mystery that you're like how could this possibly happen and then at the end you're like your mind is just blown you know like it just it's so meticulously plotted it's so wild so that I think is a really underrated book in that like I haven't uh heard anyone talk about it ever right can I have can I add another one can I add another one that is also an amazing movie that is based on a book that I love the book I love doing that where I love a movie then I'll go check out the book but I am a really huge fan of Silence of the Lambs. Love the movie. Yeah. Yeah. The novel that the movie is based off of is so fun. It's a really good read. It's very like, um, 
the copy I read was like a pulpy paperback, like just like I blew through it. It's super engaging and fun and like just really easy to read. Uh, and I love that movie. I can watch that movie at any time, any day over and over, but definitely rewatchable. Uh, I love that movie. I don't know why I'm just, a, I like crimes and I'm just a dark person, I guess, but I love that. But that, the book's really, really good. Um, and what was the second part? Oh, a really like overhyped one that's actually high, worth it. Um, it's it's celebrated, but it's uh, but you're not sure if it's it's a little overrated. Oh, overrated. Oh, yeah. yeah we're getting to the smoke question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hot seat. Um. Okay. This is not a like a educated opinion, but I have like a lot of issues getting into like Mark Twain. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> like there's some like classics, like okay, for some reason I don't know why I I always put Charles Dickens and Mark Twain together in a boat and I'm just not interested in that boat at all. <laughs> and I know it's really bad because it's like you should know the canon. Like if you're at least going to like know, you know, I want to get a PhD and like part of that is like basically having a PhD in literature. So like you have to know, even if you don't like it, you have to know, and we can talk about how much bullshit the canon is another time, but you know, like I understand their relevance and like their place in history, but I just like Huckleberry Finn's is like, I was never able, able to get into it as a kid. I was never interested in it. I've tried the, I've read the first chapter a few times, probably just been like, this is boring. But that that sounds very it's like very similar to I forget the the, the author, but it was one of these like um, stories that black women of a certain age should read. And my, mm -hmm. my girlfriend always telling me of like pretty much her like kind of going at it with one of her professors about like, mm -hmm. ah, I think the book's a little overrated. And she's like, how could you say something like that? It's about the Geechee yeah. people and all of this. And she's like, yeah, but I don't care about these people. I don't care about oh, this book. interesting. <laughs> And it's, it's it's funny to me. It's just mm -hmm. really really funny when someone has that that spot. I like being on that side. Like, let's challenge this. Why is this a thing? Why is this the approved upon people? Like, yeah, they're important. Oh yeah. But oh also... yeah. <laughs> That's a huge conversation in like the writing world, the writing academia world. Is like when we put together these lists, you know, that are like kind of building the backbone of like what our students aesthetic is and what they're being exposed to. It's like, yeah, like it's real complicated real fast. Cause it, you can't read everything also. Right. In the whole world. So everyone also has like blind spots. So that's why I'm saying. I feel like it's somewhat uneducated because I never, especially with Dickens, I haven't given it a true effort. Sure. But um, I feel like it's all kind of coming full circle because it's all like, if you don't like it, don't read it. You know, like if you don't, if you don't like something or if you don't, 
if something doesn't like feel interesting to you, then find something that is interesting to you because there's like a million interesting things. I agree. And out that, there. With with that said, uh, let's hit some of your interesting things that are coming up in your social media. Where can people check out what you do? Okay, I'm oh, working my on my Twitter empire. Gang, gang. Slowly <laughs> but surely, my Twitter handle is by Dylan Morrison. There's only one R in there: M O R I S O N. It's D Y L A N. And that's kind of like only writing stuff. On there is tagged, like my tagged thing is a uh, a story that I wrote. So that's like where, if you wanted to read something I wrote, you could see that. Uh, right now. Uh, life's pretty canceled, so I'm just working on my graduate degree, and, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to stay grateful every single day. I'm currently fired, hoping for that unemployment check any day now, and honestly enjoying, like, taking a little staycation, and, you know, cooking's really exhausting, so, uh, usually, you know... I'm working my ass off every week, so this has been a bizarre, uh, horrible, weird blessing in some ways, you know, to get to spend some time out with my husband and my dog and, you know, make the house all nice. That's been, like, a kind of surprising silver lining. So that's what I have going on is I'm playing a lot of Animal Crossing I'm I'm working. I'm you know I'm 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 reading every week and I'm working on stories every week. So um, right now we don't have anything like pending as far as trying to be published at the moment. But I'm really working on generating some new work right now, and I'm excited about uh, hopefully in the next year having some stuff to show for it. I can share with the world. I, th- I think like during this period, uh, a lot of people will see it as, Hey man, our things are restricted and so on. And yes, that's true, but it's a great opportunity for creatives to, you know, just have some silence and figure out oh, what yeah. you want to create. And that's what oh I'm Oh my gosh. To. Well, really it's like, besides the quarantine part, I'm living like my dream life basically okay. where like capital does, Capitalism doesn't exist, and I don't have to have a 40 to 50-hour weekday Mm -hmm. job. You know, like, that is so hard for me to even comprehend that this is, like, what is this alternate reality where suddenly I have time? Right. You know, this, like, precious, precious thing that I'm always, like, never having enough of. Suddenly I have it in abundance. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely not... uh, I'm not letting that go to waste for sure. Well, that's it. Uh, that's, that's all I it. had. So awesome. Thank you. I want to thank you for coming on, getting to the truth in this art. And um, mm-hmm. until next time, for Dylan Morrison, I'm Rob Lee saying Baltimore's filled with artists. She's got to look for it. <laughs>